invite you to join me in reading from God's Word today in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. We are working our way through this great, great letter of the Apostle Paul that was written from prison in Rome. Paul established this church in Philippi, served for about two years there. And about ten years after that, he's penned this letter to the church at Philippi. And we're getting into some of the richest part of this book in the Bible. Because in this letter, Paul reveals his heartfelt love for the church he planted along with his team at Philippi. This is where he met Lydia, a woman who dealt in fine purple. She and her husband were baptized according to the book of Acts chapter 16. And uh, you never forget the first folks that you baptized in the new church that you planted. And uh, today he's going to speak about his great love for them and encourage them to just stand firm in Christ. And so that's the title of my message today, Standing Firm in Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. How many times has he used that word, beloved? Twice already in this one verse. That's significant. Now, I urge Eudia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. These are female names, and these are dedicated and faithful servants in the church at Philippi, but they're not in harmony. And Paul prays that they will resolve their conflict for the cause of the gospel and go forward in the cause of the gospel. Indeed, he says in verse 3, true companion, I ask you also to help these women May we help each other resolve conflict for the cause of Christ and the gospel. Not to be the cause of conflict, but to be a minister of reconciliation for the cause of Christ. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my Fellow workers, does anybody drink a coffee in Louisville called Synagos? Anybody drink that coffee? That's where they get the word Synagos, is this word fellow workers. Their names are in the book of life. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. And I ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, the stuttering preacher might proclaim faithfully the Word of God. May we, Father, have ears that are open, hearts that are open to receive what thus saith the Lord. And may we hear a fresh challenge, a fresh comfort, and a fresh understanding of what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ and to just stand firm in the gospel. 
We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all who agreed said, Amen. So what is Paul saying in these three verses of Scripture? Well, first of all, he's saying, Stand firm, showing your love for both Christ and one another. There are several one another's in the letters of the Apostle Paul because he is always speaking about a united fellowship around the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the news broadcast of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul loved his church family at Philippi. You love your church family. I do. I love being in church. I want to be around church people. In fact, really the family that I'm closest to are my Christian family, my church family. And Paul loved his family. How many times again did he use that word beloved? Oh yeah, two, right. Two times he uses that word beloved. And listen to these heartfelt expressions from the Apostle Paul. I long to see you. I desire to see you. I want more than anything in the world to be with you. Not just because he was suffering in prison, but because he had so many wonderful memories of the church at Philippi. In fact, that's how he begins this letter. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul loved his church. He said, I long to see you. And then there's another compound, a couple of words that he uses as adjectives to describe that heartfelt love he had for the church at Philippi. He said, you are my joy and my crown. Now the crown means like a wreath, the, uh, the contestant who won the Olympic a game or a contest received a wreath on the head. And, and that's kind of the word he's talking about here. And Paul is saying, if I could name the churches that are absolutely my favorite, I would name Philippi. You're like a crown. And he also uses the word for grace, charis. And he calls them joy. That's where we get the word joy in the Bible. So every time he remembers this church at Philippi, he says, you're my favorite. And I love you from my heart. And we toil together in the gospel we were in the ditches together. We were in the trenches together, sharing Jesus Christ in Philippi, in a culture that was pagan, in a culture that had so many false gods. They had a lot of religions in Philippi. Not the least was the religion of honoring Caesar as kurios, Lord. And so Paul says, in the trenches we served, we participated in the gospel together and you were faithful, and I love you for it. I thank God for it. In fact, he calls them, you're my family. Now, Paul uses that word family to describe the church, and he doesn't say we're like family. We really are family. And when you look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he gives us some guidelines for living together in the church like family. Don't sharply rebuke an older man but rather appeal to him as a father. So younger people, treat us senior adults with respect. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate that, don't you? Yeah. And he says uh, to the younger men, 
uh, treat each other like brothers in the church. Uh, uh, older women treat them as moms or, brother, or moms, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So Paul describes the church as more than just like a family, but we really are family. Then he gives us also this word in Philippians. He says, be like me. If, if you don't know what to do, do what I did. Be like me. Mimic my behaviors. The, the greatest flattery in the world is someone who imitates another. And Paul gives us this mature kind of love that, that mimics and also glorifies our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, don't just think about Paul and how he lived, but we also have the rest of the New Testament. And we think about Jesus in the Gospels. And when we look to Jesus, we know how to love one another. Love one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you. One of the ways that Jesus loved us is that he had compassion. There were hurting people all around Jesus all the time. And he took time to break away from the crowd that was having fun to spend time with the one sheep that seemed to have strayed away and was hurting and bleeding and left alone and lonely. That, my friend, is called compassion. Jesus never abused or used anyone for his personal advancement, but instead he showed respect to everyone. And that's how you and I can mimic the love of Christ at school, at work, in our own uh, biological family, as well as, and even more importantly, the church family, showing respect for each other. And then Jesus also had some encouraging words to those who felt down and out. And so we have the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. Let us also, as a church family, encourage each other. Let us also be authentic and real and genuine with each other, and not putting on a false and pretentious face. But let us rather be real and authentic with each other. Love is real and Authentic. Paul said, even though I give my body to be burned, I may do something extravagant in public, but if I do not have love, it doesn't matter. I'm nothing. When I was in college, there was a preacher who came to the Glorietta conferences and the Ridgecrest conferences that we used to have, and he used this illustration to talk about being real and genuine and what it cost us to be authentic with each other. Because this is truly an expression of love. And he used the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. Has anybody read, raise your hand, has anybody read the Velveteen Rabbit? There's one right there, yeah. I promised one of these students I was going to talk about their teddy bear today. The Velveteen Rabbit is a story published about 1920 and 21 about uh, some toys in a nursery that would talk to each other when the nana was out of the room. 
And as the toys talked to each other, some of the toys were shiny, some of the toys were novel, some were uh, brand new, uh, and so forth. And the little boy that would come in in the nursery and play with the toys um, sort of left out this velveteen rabbit. It's a stuffed, a little stuffed rabbit, stuffed with um, uh, uh, not pine straw, but um, when you cut a tree down, what do you get? Bark, yeah. That's what he was stuffed with. Sawdust. I do this to draw them in. They're, they're, they're getting it. And so this little velveteen rabbit was wondering, could he ever really become real instead of just a toy? And he has a dialogue with the skin horse. That's another toy that was in the nursery. And he asked the skin horse, what does it take to be real? What does it take to be authentic? And um, what's that like? And will I ever be real and not just a toy? And the skin horse replies to the velveteen rabbit, you're not real because you're beautiful, new, or trendy. You're real because you love and are loved in return. The skin horse says that's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time. By the time you're real, hang on to this, by the time you're real, he said, most of your hair has been rubbed off, your eyes drop out, you get loose in the joints, and you become very shabby. The velveteen rabbit asked the skin horse, well, does that hurt? And the skin horse said, sometimes. See, when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. When you're real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. Pretty profound poem, I think, as we contemplate on that, but let me translate that to what it means to be to love one another, it means to be authentic and it means to be real. Will you ever get hurt? You always get hurt when you love people. You always are disappointed when you love. But if you're not expecting anything in return, and that's how Jesus loved, not expecting anything in return, then you can be authentic and real. Folks in the church there are sandpaper people. That's the folks who rub you the wrong way. Just like your own family, where you, your biological family, there are folks in your family that you may not have spoke to in a long time. Or when you get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas, you don't talk a whole lot because they rub you the wrong way. Well, so it is in the church. The church is not a fictional place where there are no problems. There is never conflict. There is never a time when we rub each other the wrong way. That's an unrealistic picture of the real church, the true church. Remember, folks, that's how we got our Bible. There were conflicts, there were problems in the churches in the New Testament times. And Paul is addressing one here in verse 2. That's how we got all the letters of the Bible. 
That's how we got all the books of the Bible. The Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were controversies in the church. There were disagreements. There was conflict in theology. And when they didn't agree in theology, they didn't agree in relationships. But out of that, God spoke. And that's how we got our Bible. So number two, stand firm in Christ during times of struggle. Everyone struggles. And if you're struggling today, welcome to the real world. God has called you and I to become who he created us to be. And through the Holy Spirit, who he, whom he has gifted us to be. And when you step out and step forward in becoming who God created you to be, you can expect conflict. There are those who want you to never change. There are those who uh, see you as the way you used to be. But now you've been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And other folks are not quite used to the new you. But here's the positive thing about conflict. It can clarify and strengthen relationships if you follow the guidance of Scripture. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Indeed, there have been factions among you. Hear this. Indeed, there have been factions among you. For only so will it become clear who among you are authentic and genuine believers in Christ. So how does the Bible tell us to deal with each other in times of conflict? I'm going to give you two. And they kind of surmise or summarize, I should say, all of the rest. One, learn to humble yourself under Christ's authority. Paul said, I have died with Christ. Jesus is my Lord, not your opinion of me. Let me say it again. <laughs> Jesus is my Lord, not your opinion of me. Your opinion of me creates pride. When I'm so focused on what you think about me, and I should be concerned about how people feel about me, but um, pride gets in the way sometimes of, of, of us dying with Christ. Evangelist said one time, you can't kill a dead man. And the Apostle Paul lived through so many conflicts, and they became a springboard for moving the gospel forward because he was able to resolve them being humble himself and a servant of Christ and being accountable to Christ only. Love and pride do not go together, according to verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. So let us, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and watch what he can do. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture. I urge Judea and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Let's see what God can do. I don't have to be right all the time. I need to be more concerned about relationships than being right. I'm right. They're wrong. I'm right. They're wrong. No. 
It's about the relationship. Uh, uh, the relationship that has as its goal the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So learn to humble ourselves under Christ's authority. And two, uh, lean into conflict by being non-reactive. Meaning, I don't let my, com- uh, my emotions and the drama that comes from conflict uh, 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 be my, my uh, motivation and how I react all the time. I can just let all that go. Let all that go. In fact, Jesus said, if you have, if you have aught against your brother or a sister, or if your brother or sister has aught against you, go to them. Go to them. Or leave your offering. Like you're coming to church and you, you have aught against your brother, uh, go back and repair the broken relationship and then come to church and worship. Or... If they've done something against you, then you have an obligation to try to reconcile with them as well. The relationship is more important than my being right. And that's what, Jesus, that's what Paul is saying here, and the Lord is speaking through him, about these two women who are in conflict at Philippi. We're not sure what the conflict was. But whatever it was, it was hindering the progress of the gospel, the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. So stand firm during times of struggle. And thirdly, as Paul says here, stand firm in your assignment until Christ returns. Paul was big on that in the most important chapter of the Bible, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he ends that chapter by saying, Therefore... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I saw them fix chain link fences this week uh, where I live up in Louisville. We had a little mini tornado came through up there and, and the trees fell down in my yard and my neighbor's yard and it was just an awful mess. So we're fixing our fences again. And I watched how they were putting that chain link fence back up. And I noticed that when they set the post, what did they pour in around the post so that it would stay firm? Concrete. That's the image of standing firm in Christ. At your assignment, a fence post has an assignment of holding up the fence. You have an assignment from the Lord. I hope you know what it is. Stand firm, stay with it, be immovable. Abound, abound, abound in the work of the Lord. There's a lot of conversation these days about church hurt and church trauma. And people quit. I'm going to tell you right now, three fingers coming back to me. You don't have a right to quit. Jesus didn't quit. And I don't have a right to quit either. If I say to God, I'm quitting because they, 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 then I have forsaken the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am guilty 
of being an enemy of the cross. Quitting is serious mistake. Don't you quit. Stand firm in what God wants you to do. Father, thank you for this challenge today to keep serving you no matter what. To keep serving you and find out how we can serve you in your work and service. Lord, I pray that during this invitation, someone will be wanting to give their life to Jesus and come forward today and say, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be saved. I want to follow Christ in baptism. May they come while we sing this hymn. Others may want to unite with our church and the sister church. May they come as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.